0: Get more for your money this Thanksgiving at Meijer. Set the table with Meyer Grade A Frozen Turkey for 55 cents per pound, limit two. Then save with everyday low prices on sides like Meyer Frozen Steamable Sweet Corn and Meyer Cream of Mushroom Soup, a five-pound bag of russet potatoes for 99 cents, and Pillsbury Crescents and Pie Crust. Buy three, get two free. Plus, get the same low Meyer prices no matter how you shop, in-store or online. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meyer app.
1: You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast—running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes. Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com/podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com/podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new. Every day. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. Nothing's going your way. You've had a bad day. You need to keep it simple. Just chat with Seth and take a deep breath. He's not just gay, he's mental. I am bringing on a good friend of mine by the name of Mandy Nelson. I went to graduate school with Mandy at Missouri State University. How are you doing today, Mandy?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you.
1: Well, it has been a long time since we have talked. So fill me in.
0: Oh, my goodness. Am I filling you in professionally or personally?
1: (laughs) I want to get a little bit into both. How are you doing overall in life?
0: I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. I'm a grandma of two now which is amazing. Uh Yes. My, uh, my grandson Asher is two and a half and my, my newest grandson Ezra is three weeks old. He was born, Uh actually he's four weeks old. He was born three weeks early. Okay. He's doing wonderful. I am in the middle of a house remodel. So I'm Uh about ready to pull my hair out. Of course. That's, that's, that's crazy.
1: How does that work exactly doing a house remodel in the middle of a pandemic? How exactly does that work?
0: We're not in groups of 10 <laughs> or more.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true.
0: So <laughs> Are you um, having people our, like
1: come in and work?
0: Yeah, we have a guy that comes in okay. and just a contractor. He's coming in. He's working on my bathroom right now, which has been a little difficult because we have one bathroom. We live in a small house. Mm-hmm. So, but we're we're doing great. I'm enjoying my job. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a um, stay at home person. So this has been a little difficult.
1: Yeah, it's been difficult for a lot of people.
0: It's mm-hmm.
1: really changed the the landscape of how things are going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm happy that you're still able to work, though, right?
0: Oh, so fortunate, so fortunate. I'm able yeah. to do Zoom sessions with my kiddos
1: mm-hmm. from
0: my house. So, yeah. um and you know, it's funny because that opens up a little bit more of a, a personal feeling because mm-hmm. they get to see the background of whatever bedroom I'm in or my kitchen. I'm I'm seeing theirs, I'm seeing their animals and their family run around in the background. And um it, it's been it's been neat. It's opened up a different dynamic.
1: It's interesting because I would say even from a functional, I mean organizational level, communication improves. Uh, when people move home it's just interesting how processes and the way that we communicate changes when you're not in the same room oh i agree and honestly sometimes for the better because by not being in the same room we notice so many other things and like i've just seen it on my team where i work they send us all home and like microsoft teams we've always had but now it's like everything and Mm -hmm. it's the best thing in the world like there's a constant Everyone's chatting. Everyone's talking. That never happened in the office, you know. So people are actually getting closer.
0: Yes, this this environment forces you to to seek out those those um, relationships, and it makes those relationships so much stronger because you are literally seeking out contact because you're you're in your home and you're in these four walls, and you know humans are social by nature.
1: Well, we definitely are. And we both have degrees in social work. So let's talk <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that. So yeah. we went to school together at Missouri State, graduated yes, in did. what was that what 2013? So it's been I believe it was. Yeah, it's been it's been seven. a long time. It's been seven years. Oh my
0: years. gosh. Has it? It has. Oh oh wow.
1: <laughs> let's talk about your passion for social work. What drew you into this field?
0: You know, as a child, I, and I think it's funny because as a social worker, we're always like, "Tell me your childhood." Right? Um, <laughs> you see somebody, and you you hear they have a diagnosis or whatever, and you're, as a social worker, your first thought is, "Oh man, I'd love to hear about that person's childhood." But mm-hmm. as a child, I was raised in a family. We lived poorly. I wouldn't yeah. say we were destitute, but we were stretched pretty thin. And mm-hmm. there were five of us kids, and a Uh, three bedroom home, one bath, you know, my mom and my dad, and of course they they divorced early, but my mom, let me tell you a little bit about my mom. She was a very, she was a very stern parent. Her discipline Mm -hmm. was based on the way that she was raised and she was raised in a Catholic orphanage, uh, orphanage by nuns in Germany. Oh, wow. So.
1: Culture differences, I would imagine.
0: Oh, Absolutely. So many, and so you can imagine her parenting style. Mm-hmm. Militant, I would imagine. Uh, level twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Which honestly, um, attribute it's. I attribute my strong personality to my German heritage and and the way that I was raised. And then I had, you know, people have their own stories of childhood trauma. Of course. Uh, so I, you know, I had my own story of childhood trauma, and mm-hmm. uh, and the funny thing is, is growing up, I never wanted children. Um, I never, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to have a family. And I, but once I did, um, I I had my daughter when I I was 21 and at three months old, I, I realized, Oh my gosh, I have somebody I have to care for. Yeah. I was a single, I was a single mom and I was like, I've got to do something. And when I sat and I thought about it, I thought I want to help. I want to help people, kids specifically who, Mm -hmm. and I love my mom. She and I are really good friends, but kids specifically who might be being raised, by a mother who was raised by nuns in an orphanage in Germany.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: That's where that's where my I think my passion comes from. It's just my own experiences in life.
1: And that's really significant because whenever I'm interviewing a mental health professional, I don't care if they're a counselor or a social worker or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or I don't care. If you're in the mental health field, there's a reason. People don't just pick this career.
0: It's not for the money.
1: No, no. <laughs> No, it is not. <laughs> Unless you sell out for an insurance company like I did. There's, it's not for you. We're not going to make money. Okay. You, you either okay. live in poverty or you sell out. You know Those are your choices. So I'm always intrigued by the story of what leads one in. And it, it seems to always be around some form of, lo- uh, of trauma or mm-hmm. um, serious life difficulty. That really brings us back to this root of wanting to serve and help others, and yes, just hearing your story, even in that, just the way in which you were raised, and then it was like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I need to, I need to take responsibility, and what better way of doing that than joining a career of serving? I love it. Yes, there's a passion for kids. It sounds like,
0: yeah, which is crazy to me because growing up, I did not like them. They were too loud, and they were a nuisance, and I didn't want to be responsible for any. I just, it hit me out of left field. I, it was what, at the moment, I laid my eyes on my daughter, is what mm-hmm. happened. That I was like, oh, wow. But if I thought, if I felt this overwhelmed, oh gosh, I just got goosebumps. If I, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, if I felt this overwhelmed and this just joy of seeing my child for the first time, there are people out there who need that, who may mm-hmm. not feel that. Mm-hmm. And they, they just need somebody to guide them.
1: Mm-hmm. and here comes Mandy to do so so let's talk about it what was your okay. first job um, which I'm, I know that you were working while in graduate school so but let's talk about your profession post grad
0: okay so during graduate school I actually worked for the children's division mm-hmm. I, I've actually worked for the children's division oh goodness since I worked for them about 15 years Whoa. So, so department, department of social services, I started actually in uh department of family services doing Medicaid applications and things like that while I was going to school. Once I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I immediately, actually during my bachelor's degree, I started forming those bonds because they were in the same office. I started, because I knew that's where I wanted to go. And I started forming those bonds with the people over in department of social services, children's division. And as soon as I graduated, there was a job opening and I got that job. And so I started out there and I worked in adoption subsidy for a little bit. And then I moved over to doing work with families who have their children in their home, but just have a high risk level. Mm-hmm. And you know there may have been some sort of abuse that didn't rise to the level of removal. After that, I actually wrote home studies for just a little bit. I had this plan. Let me let me tell you. I had this plan, and my plan was to know every job before I became a supervisor. And so I I knew every job before I became a supervisor. By the time that I became a supervisor, I realized that I didn't want to supervise. I wanted to be out in the front lines, and so I demoted and went to being an investigator. And then that's whenever you and I met.
1: Couple things. We're going to rewind a little bit. Yes. Fifteen years. Department of Children's Services.
0: Well, Department of Social Services. Yes.
1: Social Services.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you it, what. That's impressive. Talk about, talk about forming a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and specifically in the children's division, I was there, I think, for eight years or maybe a little bit longer. No, I was there for, I think, 10 years. Yeah, I was there for about 10 years specifically in the children's division. It changed me.
1: What's the typical... People don't make Get long in children's division. People, people don't. People don't. So I'm trying to. Before we jump in on this, I kind of want to point out the fact that 15 years in children's division is practically unheard of. What's the typical turnaround? How? What's typical retention of an employee with CPS?
0: In the bigger cities, I would say two to three years. Mm -hmm. Where Where I live, um, our population is not a big city. It's growing rapidly. Um, but there's, there was a lot of turnaround. I'm going to say that turnaround was due to upper management and not to the stress of the job. Oh. Well, I'm going to say that the stress and the upper management
1: mm-hmm.
0: was the reason that I saw the turnaround that I did. And some people just aren't made for it. You know, you have to build a wall. You have to become a pro at compartmentalizing. Otherwise it eats you alive. Mm-hmm. But. To that effect, though, I find myself compartmentalizing too much because I trained myself to do that. If that makes any sense,
1: makes complete sense. But I want to, I want to unpack what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what being an investigator is like, because when you know when we talk about children's division, I mean it's very well known that this is one of the more stressful jobs one can have. Yes. Uh, due to the very nature of what your responsibilities are. But I want to unpack that for listeners because, you know, there's a lot of preconceived notions about children's division. There's lots of things that are not true. There's, I mean, there's lots, there's a lot of misinformation.
0: They don't don't take your babies for money.
1: Thank you. Yeah. We Mm -hmm. don't,
0: they don't get a bonus every time a kid comes into care. Mm -hmm. They, They can't just go take your kid. They have to have a judge's order, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many misconceptions, you know. I want to tell you real quick a quick story before we go into the investigator part because this just popped into my head, and I think yes. you enjoy this. We talk about re- absolutely retention as a new worker, and I mean a new worker. I was uh, doing family centered services, and that's when you work with kids who are in the home. And there's been hotlines and there's a a concern. You know, they send a worker into the home. They work with the family. They do refer them to parenting classes or counseling. They do your weekly home visits, all of that. So I had this family, uh, a mom who had her own trauma history, limited parenting resources, um, lack of education, poverty, lots of children with behaviors a recipe for a disaster basically. And, um, I worked with this family for quite a while and then I, I had to petition the court for removal of the children. So this is the first removal that I'd ever been involved in. And Seth, let me tell you what, if I was not the strong person that I am now or that I was even my entire life, I was a a strong willed obstinate child to begin with. Thank God, because I don't know that I would have made it as long as what I did in that career. I went out there. Of course, the police are involved. I did not have another worker with me. This is the very first time I'd been, I'd, I'd done anything like that, and mm-hmm. so we get there. The police are there. Thank God, because Mom tried to attack me. Um, they had to sit. Oh, did she? Really? Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness, the stories of of uh, well, come to my house and try to take my kids, see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And right. I would rather see a parent react that way than a parent sit there and smoke cigarettes and, and joke with the, the police. So which happens, um, which is just a, a mechanism, you know, a defense mechanism. I digress. So we go to the house and, you know, police had to intervene because mom tried to get me. Um, we had a kid. There were five kids. One climbed a tree outside. Another one locked themselves in the cellar. And the other three were just shocked. So we literally had to drag this kid out of the tree and the other one out of the cellar. And I am, I am a newbie, and the police are just, you know, it was, it was a disaster. So we, we finally get them in the car, and they know me by this time because I've been coming to their house for months, you know. But, of course, right. that's, right. you know, the, the, what they present to you, the family, versus who they are behind, you know, whenever you're not around. And so, you know, there's always so many layers to um, mm-hmm. abuse and neglect driving to the office with these children in my personal vehicle, no police escort whatever.
1: Isn't that against policy?
0: Mm, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. Okay. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't back then. I don't know if it is now cause I'm no longer with the children's division. So we have, we have custody of the children and, um, I dropped four of them off at the foster home and the other one who we had to drag out of the tree that had tried to hurt himself. And so I'm, I then have to take this one to the office by myself and look for a hospitalization on the way to the hospital. He unbuckles and tries to get out of my, the back of my blazer. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm having to stop the vehicle and get him. Anyway, we get to the, to the office and I'm by myself and I'm a brand new worker, brand new. And i made a couple of calls. I'm like, how do I do this? I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. This, this kid is just, he's, he's, he's upset and he is showing me he's upset. He gets on top of my Mm -hmm. desk and managed to, he goes to kick me in the head and and just barely misses my head. And at that point in time, I got tears in my eyes and I looked at him. I'm like, listen, kiddo, I don't want to do this. This is my job. I am so very sorry that you're put in the middle of all of this and that you were made to feel unsafe can can mm-hmm. you just help me do my job i was basically begging this child <laughs> at that point in time another Great. another worker walks in and sees me and she's like oh let me help you so that is just mm-hmm. a quick story about as a new worker i went home and i was like i can't do this I, I i can't i can't do this but i did and i kept coming back that's that's when you talk about retention it's stories like that that make people leave
1: mhm i can only imagine the internal process that the worker has to go through
0: yes.
1: in just being able to do that.
0: Well, and, and, so and it's not just yeah. as a worker because you cry on the way home and then you have your mm-hmm. family at home who needs you. So you've got to turn it off. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that my children, I was very honest with my children about the work that I did and the way that and, and how the world is and, and what dangers lie out there when it comes to people. And, right, they have they have grown up hearing um, a version of what I do and, and, and what it is involved in. My son is um, has decided he he has decided that he's going to go to school and he's going to become a counselor. My daughter is a very amazing protective mother. Um, she's like I am. I'm a mama bear, and so I got to share that you have to shut it off before you get home because your own family needs you. But that process I think is different for everybody because it depends on what you have Uh at home waiting for you. Had I not had my family waiting at home, probably would have been pretty bad. Because then I wouldn't have had to shut it off. I would have wallowed in it, I believe so.
1: Right. Distractions are very, very important. So important. You know, having something having something that you can go to outside of the job is critical. Well, and uh, when for you survival. work in the
0: mental health field, what do we do? We overthink. We overthink. No. and we analyze, and we are, you know, assessing and reassessing, and you know, uh, yeah, distractions are a must.
1: Absolutely. We started talking about being an investigator, but you mentioned several different things prior to becoming an investigator, and I want to just go back because a lot of people, when we just say. Children's Division, uh-huh. right? What are all those different roles you okay. know that you served?
0: So adoption. Like what
1: were you actually doing? Okay, you know,
0: yeah, adoption subsidy is um, whenever you work with families who have adopted a child through the Children's Division, and you maintain their home studies. You make sure they get their payments. You you know deal with any um, issues that may be arising with the child in the home. Because you know, just because you're adopted doesn't mean the symptoms of your trauma are going to disappear. They, are exa- right. they will exacerbate themselves because the child is in a safe environment and, and has that mm-hmm. um, permanence, that permanency that they need, so they feel safe enough to really let it loose. so that that is just adoption subsidy, and um, also you wrote foster home studies. I actually taught the Stars class for a little while for foster parents. Um, So that's kind of what that entails. So the family centered services is another job that I Mm -hmm. did while I was there. And that is working with impact families to help them become safe enough to where they don't become involved with the court. Just to to assist them in their uh, journey as a parent and as a family so that they don't have their children removed or God forbid a child become um, seriously harmed. Then of course the supervisor and supervisors, you know, I I feel like, especially at the children's division, at least in the environment that I worked in, that's very stressful because when it rolls downhill, that's usually kind of where it stopped with me um, because I I was, I was a protector of my, my staff. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of have a mouth on me and I'm very, (laughs) no, I'm, I I was
1: going to say, Really? really? I would never have guessed, man.
0: Never. And I'm a very strong personality, and, and I do have what people call RBF. So that is another recipe for disaster. I've gotten in trouble in court on more than one occasion for advocating very strongly for the families that I worked with. I was a little bit of a force to be reckoned with, and it took a little while after I left the children's division, for people to be like, "Oh, she's not." Can I cuss?
1: Oh, yes, and I was going to say, "Can we uh, clarify RBF?" I'm assuming that stands for resting bitch face, yes. but I'm not positive. Yes, it does. Okay. So yes, and you can swear all you need
0: to. Okay, because yes. you know I love, Please. I love, I love.
1: Uh, this, yes, we're men- we're mental health professionals. Come <laughs> <Okay>. on.
0: <laughs> I was trying but to be very this, professional. This, on this. This, so,
1: no, this no, this is about mental health. Come on.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, there was one time I, I pissed the judge off so bad that he actually called the supervisor. And, really? oh, it was bad. It was really bad. And I actually tried to call her immediately when I left. And this is the kind of supervisor who did not have your back at all. She would throw people on under the bus left and right. and was ultimately the reason why I left the agency. So, um yeah, the judge contacted <laughs> I was advocating for this family. And I was I was determined that something wasn't going to happen. And I got... A little bit too free with my words. And I'm going to have to say, I did cross <laughs> the line and I did deserve the slap on the hand. Uh, I, I'm willing to admit that. But yeah, that's, I don't even know what we were talking about when I got there, where I am at right now.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. So 15 years. Yes. And it sounds like that was a life sh- shaping experience overall.
0: Uh, personally and professionally, it taught me so much. I learned mm-hmm. so much about the dynamics of people working there, and I wouldn't have—I wouldn't take it back. I would do things differently, but I wouldn't take it back. It shaped who I am as a pro- professional. Gosh, it shaped who I am as a parent. Seth, let me tell you what I used to do. Of course, I, you know, as a parent, I was always like, you know, do you want to go over to their house? I don't know these people. What are their names? What are their social security numbers? Who lives in the home? Where do they live? Let me check on CaseNet. You know, and there was one time my daughter was like, Mom, it's a slumber party, please, please, please let me go, blah, blah. I did a walkthrough of their home before I allowed my daughter to stay the night.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you. This is your this is your expertise. I mean, you know what to look for.
0: Well, when you see when you see what lies around the corner, just and it doesn't have to be in the dark. It's just around the mm-hmm. corner. When you when you work that daily, you realize the human race. Hmm. We're kind of fucked up. We are. Yeah.
1: We are. And it's interesting that those experiences were inevitably not the reason you left the agency. I know. It was actually Isn't a supervisor. it sad? Isn't that? I grieved. Isn't that intriguing?
0: Seth, I grieved. I grieved the, the, the change in career. I actually, for a year, did not do social work. I did. I went and worked at a private probation and parole company. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. As a probation and parole officer. You know what I.
1: To take time off.
0: I, that wasn't an intentional. That Like I didn't do that. I didn't say I have to take time off. This is what I'm going to do. This is just what I found. And this is what I did. I can look back and say I was. My heart was bleeding. And I needed a break. But you know what I did Seth. I social worked the hell out of those convicts. <laughs> And I was not tough enough mm-hmm. on them, and I was I I, I did I only revoked one person's probation during that whole time, and I had a judge comment that that's just not normal, uh, you know. And I finally realized after <laughs> after being there for that's just that's just not normal. I are thing. you
1: not working?
0: I still work the hell out of those convicts. <laughs>
1: I believe it. You and you changed lives. I have no doubt. Oh. We, this entire story, all right, with CPS and like what you've what you've shared, reminds me of a book I read like last year. Have you ever heard of "By Any Means Necessary"?
0: By you know, I have not heard that.
1: It's "By Any Means Necessary," a betrayal of justice, okay, by Rebecca Ross, and I want to encourage you to check that out. What is it about? A uh, CPS worker. And a case that she came into that ended up with uh, her being uh, called into question. So it, it analyzes several things, several levels. I was certainly. called into question
0: once about my ability as a social worker after um, mm-hmm. there was a death. And that, let me tell you what, that scared the hell out of me. It wasn't even. So just a real brief. Uh, worked with a family who... So, you know, there's those children who fall through the cracks and they try to find place. Yes. They try to find placement for them. They try to find mental health facilities for them. And ultimately what happens, because they can't find placement for these children, that's a permanent, they send them back home eventually. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that happened with the, from another county. They the, These two uh, teenage boys were sent home with mom who had her own story, bless her heart. But I worked with them until the, the children and turned um, 18, and at that time, I had to close the case, and I referred to the Division of Aging. Within, I think it was six or eight months, one of the boys had died from the neglect, and the detective at the sheriff's office called me there, and my supervisor, the shitty supervisor who uh, ironically uh, got demoted, but that's a whole, gosh, that's a whole other podcast. So um, the detective from the sheriff's office called me into his office with my superiors and proceeded to tell me that I killed this kid. So when we talk about finding a scapegoat, I was, I was, I was scared. I was so scared.
1: It, I, but this is the whole thing. It's like you, you're fucked if you do, you're fucked if you don't. Like you either remove the kid and completely traumatize the entire family or yeah. you give the family chances, and then a kid dies like you literally the investigator the you in this situation are everything is on your shoulders and everything, everything. and and no matter what you do there's theoretically a somewhat of a negative outcome i mean I, you know what I'm saying like you you're saving a life but yeah. The steps that it takes to do that is just grueling, not just for the family but also for you. And I—that's why know, I just have so much respect for people who've who've served in this capacity because I think it's the okay. most difficult thing to do.
0: It is. It is a difficult thing. And um, when I hear or talk to anybody who says that they've worked for the division, if they if they say they worked for a couple of years, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's a tough job. But whenever they say I worked there five plus years, I'm like, let's have a discussion. <laughs> So, you know, and when we go back to talking about responsibility, ultimately it was the courts that had the power to remove and it's the courts that had the power to place that child back in the home. But whenever shit rolls downhill, it's the frontline workers. They get fingers pointed at them. So, Mm -hmm. and we take babies, we take babies fresh out of college who don't have children of their own who don't have life experience, we give them those positions and we send them out in the field with six to eight weeks worth of training. I, I expect don't, them to survive. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It doesn't, it's not a good system. So what happened after, after all of this? So 15 years in. Yes. Eventually a bad run in with the supervisor that eventually drew you to the point that you had to let go. Yes. Where'd you go next?
0: Uh, I did that one year short stint with, Right. Um, that probation and parole, where I social work the hell out mm-hmm. of convicts, and which was awesome, yeah. And then I got a um, position as the director of social services at a nursing home. So let me tell you, it was hard to go from a career where you are 15 years. That's a, that's a lot to be proud of. And then mm-hmm. through the next however many years, I have used the stepping stones, which is they're not within one agency as it was with the children's division. And it made me feel unstable in my, in my career. And I hated it. I hated it. I felt very unprofessional because of that. And it's taken me a while to come to terms with that. That's just one of those processing things that I've had to do through the years. So after that I went, so I went and did the, um, the uh, social services director at the nursing home, which was quite, it was quite eye opening. Old people are funny. Oh my gosh, they're so funny. They don't care. They will say, call it like they see it. And I loved it because those are my kind of people.
1: So wait, hold up. Entered the field of social work (laughs) for Passion with Children, 15 years (laughs) working for Children's Division. And what is your next move? Geriatrics?
0: Yes, but let me tell you what.
1: There's no judgment with that the way I said that. No, 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 no. It's the the opposite.
0: They're polar, yes. Sort, yeah, they, are, but pull they, they are, but they aren't. Let me tell you what, when I was working there, I was thinking about this. I thought, where am I at in my career? Where am I heading in my career? What, what is happening to me right now? Because mm-hmm. I'm still grappling with the, the change that I had with my career. And I'm like, these are basically children. Because, you know, they're losing their memories. They're losing their ability to their physical abilities. They're losing their cognitive abilities they have to be taken care mm-hmm. of 24 hours a day, you know, right. um, you still have to treat them with the same dignity and respect as mm-hmm. you would anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's just flip flopped there. Instead of coming into their life, they're on the way out of life. And what's so funny is that the drama between the residents, it, it was, you know, just like a social, like a, like a soap opera. It, it was, there was a lot of fun to be had. There was a lot of learning and a lot of sadness, but there was a lot of fun to be had. And do you know, when I started working there at the, the nursing home, like my first week, um, I go and I approach this elderly, beautifully cute, cute, cute uh, uh, woman, older woman in a, in a uh, wheelchair. And nobody warned me. I had not been warned about this little bitty frail old lady. That woman has a mean right hook. And I learned that within the first week, I, she asked me if she could talk to me. young lady, can I talk to you? And I said, well, yes. And I bent down at her level and I'm talking and she come from the South, punched me square in my jaw. Oh my gosh. That was my first lesson of you need to know, you, you need to know your room. You need to know what you're working with when it comes to them because they may look cute and cuddly. That's just a funny joke. But all all jokes aside, after that, um within the same company, I went to work for hospice.
1: Okay. So, I'll be honest. I never I have I've never worked in hospice. Uh-huh. But I did apply for a hospice job in Springfield. And I really wanted that job. Okay. And they called me and they were like, "We want you." But someone that's worked for the agency in the past has applied. Okay. So we're sorry. We have to say no, but we would have chosen you. Because I, I think that would have been an incredible job. How long did you work for hospice?
0: I worked for hospice for two years. And I would have continued working there. But this opportunity that I am involved with right now came open. And somebody called me. My boss. my My boss now called me. She's like, Mandy, I want you. I want you. I want you to work for me.
1: Okay, and I want to get there, yes. but I want to talk about hospice for a second. Okay. Because that's, we're talking working children to elderly to death and dying. Yes. What was that like?
0: It was a, the it, death and dying part, of you know,
1: hospice. It, I mean, what was that like?
0: I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed helping the patient and the families accept their grief, Mm -hmm. to be okay with their grief and just sit with their grief. I, Mm -hmm. I enjoyed giving them a safe space to say, this is just bullshit, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and to really Mm -hmm. just be with them during their time of loss and, and during their grief and, and let them know, you know what, it's okay to laugh. When you're crying, if that's what you have to do, don't feel guilty because you had a, you know, a lunch date with a friend and you enjoyed yourself because you you are going to continue to live after your My loved point. one is gone. So you need to continue to live right now. You cannot be in this world with nothing but this as a scope. You know, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed working um, with patients who had a different perspective on what was happening to them and what they were going through, and, you know, it's funny, I had, I had families who were accepting of it, and they were like, yeah, we knew it was coming, you know, and I had families that would still, they wouldn't sign the DNR, you know, and so me being the person that I am, once they got comfortable with me, I would just, okay, let me, let me frame this by saying that hospice doesn't mean that somebody is going to die within a week. I had patients that were on hospice for two years, three years. Okay. It means that you have to have a, a diagnosis which will result in your death within you know, the foreseeable future and the foreseeable future could be two to three years. So it's, it's all about the management of that. You know, I had families who wouldn't sign the DNR. And so then it was, then it was my job to sit with the family and say, mm-hmm. you know, why are we, why are we on hospice? You know, get them to fully understand why we're on hospice and what their loved one's diagnosis was and where that would lead. Now, do you, you know, and I, I had to, sometimes I had to be very blunt. This is what happens when you perform CPR. You're going to break ribs. You know, you're, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And it can be painful for your loved one. Only for them to live and suffer six more months with this cancer and then die, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, die after losing all of their body weight. And sometimes I had to, I had to bring them to the reality of what was coming or what could happen and help them see a different perspective of, you know what, you're not, yes, you're going to use your, lose your loved one, but what decisions do we want to make along the way that are going to provide your loved one with the most comfortable happy end of life that we can provide them with. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So.
1: That in and of itself is a life work in my opinion. So two years of that and then you had an incredible opportunity from a friend. Yes. You were telling us about. Yes. So let's talk about this. Where are you at now?
0: I am with uh, Great Circle Academy in Lebanon mm-hmm. and we, okay. we are a school for mm-hmm. um, children who are no longer um, safe to be in the public school system. And, you know, we have, uh, they're all special education children who have behaviors that make them unsafe to be in the classroom. And so what that process is in um, the school setting is, you know, your kid will have a 504 or an IEP, which is, um, mm-hmm. and, and and they look at the, what your children need, what your child needs to be successful educationally. and, Mm-hmm. They provide them with that, and then there are steps. There are tiers to what they can provide your child. So you know they they provide them with um, speech therapy, occupational therapy. If the child is not safe to be at home or at school because of their behaviors, or because that's what happens. You have you, all of our children have behaviors, and they they can get pretty violent. So they're not safe to be in the school system. They have probably tried homebound and it's not working for them and the the school reaches out to us and they say we want this child to be successful um educationally and mm-hmm. uh, we we are now up to three classrooms there in Lebanon we, w- we actually work out of an old school building okay and and so um while the kids are there they're there for 5 hours a day and we provide them with breakfast breakfast we provide them with lunch we provide them with their educational experience and then there's where i come in so at this school they have us me the therapist there for them during the whole time that they're there um i do groups on on with the kids uh regulation um, anger management i do individual sessions with the kiddos and then when the kiddos dysregulate not if but when because they do dysregulate right because they you know they're they're um, base level um, of fight or flight is so much, um, well, they're in a constant state of mild dysregulation. Okay. Right. So um, following whatever occurs at school that they then, when they, when they dysregulate, I'm there for them to help process. What was your trigger? You know, what did that make you feel like? Um, how, how did, how did it feel if you were in a hold, you know? Uh, Because, unfortunately, there are times whenever children become a danger to themselves or others. And um, then we have to intervene. And um, sometimes it can get pretty rough.
1: So I'm going to tell a little story. Okay. Just pretty funny because I think it's comical to Seth's behavior. I used to work at Great Circle, one of their residential facilities. Yes. And I preferred to work with the older kids.
0: Me too. Littles are so hard. Ugh.
1: The, but I always got put with the littles yes okay and <laughs> and and I don't know how much you know me, but i I will let an eight year old strong arm army uh-huh. like i totally will yeah like i like i yeah, so there was one day, there was one day I had an eight year old and he was out of control, so they Staff, we'd like sequestered him Uh into the shoe room. Okay. In the back of the cottage. Okay. And I'm in this back room with this eight year old as he is, I mean, literally, we're in the shoe room. So, what do you think? My first thought
0: is this kid's going to throw every shoe at you that he can possibly find.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, every shoe, like the whole like shoes are flying, and I'm like trying, I'm like diving and dodging and like doing whatever I can. I tried to throw this kid into a containment and like when I, my hand came around and he latched his oh, mouth. Oh, the bites like, are the worst. The And I have, which hand is it? I think it's my right hand. There is a little scar that I still have yes. from this eight year old who totally like broke skin and everything. And I'm yes. just not, I'm just not, a, I'm just not about it. Like I,
0: you're not about that
1: life. I'm not, but I, we need people like that. Um, there were a lot of people there that were big and tough, you know, that really had a mm. heart for, and soul for kids.
0: Yeah.
1: But yeah. but could stand up to them. And I I'll talk about their emotions and their feelings, but I'm not going to wrestle them to the ground. But yeah, it's hard. And I'm just wondering, how does that? How how do you handle that? I mean, I'm assuming that you end up having to throw kids into containments, correct? I mean, do you put them in holes? We do.
0: I I I do, unfortunately. I,
1: mean, I would um, imagine.
0: But I but while I'm involved in that, I am that person that's going, I know that you're mad and you want to hurt me, but I'm here to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make sure you're safe and I'm gonna make sure nothing bad happens to you. I'm that person that's that's and you know they'll call me every name in the book and tell me to shut the fuck up and they're gonna kick my ass and you know, all of those other things that they do when they're dysregulated but I do, I do it in a therapeutic way as much, as much as possible. They try to, I'm involved in holds. They try to keep me from being involved, but whenever it's like a domino effect, you have one child who has a dysregulation and is trying to climb out a window or whatever it is that they're doing. And so you're, you know, this child ends up in a hold and Billy over here sees, oh wow, staff are really busy. The -hmm. things that I don't normally, I'm not normally able to get away with, I can get away with right now. And so then it's a domino effect. And it it can be contained to a classroom that the other classroom hears it. And then that domino effect skips classrooms. And so what ends up happening is, you know, I would have to get involved and into a hold. Unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, we've, I, I love what I do. There are days that I go home and well, I think about my kids all the time. I call them my kids. I think about my kids all the time. I worry about them. especially Now we can, we get to that. That's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But, um, I do, I, I love them but I love their quirks and I love their personalities. I love their, I love their ability to tell me their stories mm-hmm. and their histories. And, um, yeah. I love what I do.
1: So looking back at it, which I think you just answered my question, but look, we've talked about several different uh career paths that you've been in, all revolving around helping and serving others. In looking back, could you see yourself doing anything else? It, has it been worth it?
0: I would find myself here time and time again. I would. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is where I this is where I feel like I belong. Yeah my my now if you ask my stepdad my stepdad i should have been an attorney because i'm i'm uh, wow. got a sharp tongue and i'm quick-witted awesome i love it i love what i do and and it's the kiddos i always knew when i left children's division and went through my growth mm-hmm. in my career i always knew and i would tell people i'm going to end up with children i will be back to my kids i will go back to children I knew that would happen. That's that's just. They need people. Yeah. They need people, who advocate for them, who who want to help them. So, uh,
1: hearing your story is powerful, in the impact that you've had with the amount of people that you've affected, and I want to know what makes you able to continue doing this what strategies or coping skills or how are you able to kind of flip the switch when you get home
0: so i would have to say that i've not always done that successfully i've had some pretty negative coping skills in my life Mm -hmm. which is which is common with people who work in, in the helping field correct you know
1: very common
0: i I would have to say my, my personal relationships have, have been affected mm-hmm. because we talk, talk, talk all day long and we validate all day long and we empathize all day long. And when we come home, we're like, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to give you any empathy because you have the ability. You didn't have this crap that these kids went through. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's not the best way. And, and I'm not saying that I'm a bitch to my family. Well, not all the time. <laughs>
1: We all are, though, so, and this is the thing: is that you're human, this, this, and if there's constant validation, ninety percent of the time happening at work, like th- there's other stuff that has to come out when you get home. So it it's part of being yeah. welcome to humanity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like
1: you're not perfect, and we can't expect to be. So no, I but I have a rule. I don't always follow it, but I I really do try that when I get off work. No one is allowed to call me for an hour. Now, granted, I live alone, so I don't have a family. It's just me. But like, my parents can't call mm-hmm. me until at least an hour after work because I, like, I have to, yeah. se- I have to divide, I have to separate, yes, to be able to not unleash. Uh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So when when you talk about coping skills, I never, on the way home, you know, from my job or whatever, was the time that I would take my big breath and say my cuss words and and cry or do whatever it is I need to do. Not that my family has not seen me cry. Um, because I have come home and just, in fact, my children have said to me, mom, I've seen you cry mm. because of your job. But whenever they've talked to me about that, it's always been people need you. You know, I see what it does to you, but I want to be like you. Not that I'm a perfect mother because I'm not. I've probably been on the verge of having a hotline called on, uh, you know, on, on myself a couple of times because my daughter is me times one hundred, if you can imagine. So, and and when you put the two of us in the same room, it's like two cats fighting. But um, I'm not a perfect mother. I'm not a perfect wife. I'm not a perfect therapist or perfect social worker. Nobody's perfect. But as far as coping skills, I've never intentionally said. This is what I'm going to do. It's just always been intrinsic for me. It's just always been Mm -hmm. organic, right? And 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 I, I don't. There are times I've had conversations with other mental health professionals, and we talk about things like this. And you know, they have this rigid. This is what I do. This is how I compartmentalize, and all of these other things. And I'm like, I just gotta go with the flow. You know, but it has changed me. I'm not the person that I was, you know, way back when. I'm, I'm, and it helps that my husband is in law enforcement. Yes. Because we come home, we're both like, "How was your day?" and we're like, "Oh my god," <sighs> you know. And sometimes we want to talk about it, and sometimes we don't, and that's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> it it helps having my spouse being in law enforcement because he he sees trauma you know he's he has that secondary trauma the same that i do the same that any person in a helping field does and so we get that and we 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 understand and we um respect that Mm -hmm. with each other
1: that's awesome for our listeners is there anything you'd like them to know like if you could say anything into the world Anything to anyone hearing your story? This is a very open-ended question. I'm just throwing out. You get the last word. Jesus. I'm giving you the last you word. Why just put me maybe. on the spot? I'm all about it because I like putting you on the spot to see what happens.
0: So if you would have let me prepare for this, I would have this amazing, like earth-moving statement that I would make to everybody. <laughs> but honestly, but I don't want.
1: I don't want a prepped answer. I want real. Okay,
0: honestly, the. First thing that come to my mind, if I could look at everybody uh-huh. and, and just, I would say to them, you know, therapists need therapists too. Yes. Because I think that we we have a heavy, heavy load on our shoulders we do. And, and people need to realize that.
1: We do. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. This has been fun catching up.
0: I enjoyed catching up with you. Absolutely. I I enjoyed it thoroughly.
1: We jumped around quite a bit, but like you've been doing so much. So it's great just to hear the stories and, and really see and hear the impact that you've made. Because for with every story, with every difficulty that you've had, for every struggle, there is a real human life behind it. And yeah. everything that you're going through is in coordination of helping that person And so your life is truly an example of service. And I appreciate you sharing it with our community. So thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you. It's amazing to feel validated.
1: It is my hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I'm going to be honest. Interviewing my friends from graduate school is truly a lot of fun because it's so interesting to see how just over seven years, so many things can change and to see what people really find themselves doing and who they end up serving. So I have really enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you have as well. If you want to learn more about the Mental Podcast, I want to let you know that it's a part of the Fade to Gray network, and you can learn more on our website, FadeToGrayPodcast.com. I also have a Facebook group open for mental. It's attached to the mental page on Facebook, It's not very active yet, but it is there, and I'm hoping that people will start to use it. I have also created a Marco Polo group um, where people use that app to communicate on an almost daily basis, and it's a really cool place for people to get together, talk, and check in on how everything's going. It's completely free. Normally, that would be a Patreon only benefit um however due to the covid pandemic and the fact that listen we all are struggling and we all can use support in this time so it's completely free you can find that information on mental's page on facebook until next time with black friday savings at the home depot you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs and high capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off. Plus instantly save up to 750 on select GE kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for
0: details.